Welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, where we partner with you to bring hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Hey there, I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and we're so thankful you're taking time out of your day to hang out with us. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Nick Stumbo. Jolly good chap. Today, we have our very own Brian Roberts with us. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be back. Awesome. This is two episodes in a row for you. This is kind of a big deal. I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, pace myself, really. We're really just trying to platform you is what we're trying to do. So, hey, today... Uh, we want to spend time talking about a piece of our ministry that we push pretty often, and it's weekly phone calls. Uh, the weekly phone calls that we encouraged are, are, are made uh, to group members, and it's a part of our commitment to change. It's a part of the content uh, that we have, and it's coupled with the homework and the group attendance each week while you're in group. Um, and it tends to be uh, sometimes one of the first things that goes out the window for guys, and so uh, guys and gals, and and so we're going to talk through it today. So let's just jump in. Let's do it. Thanks, Trevor. It is great to be here. I'm glad I still am after uh, my intro was didn't get me kicked didn't off the show. <laughs> I'm glad to have you with us, Brian. You know, when a lot of people start attending a peer desire group, they're maybe in a small group mode that says, "Hey, so long as I've you know read my chapter, or done a little bit of homework, and I show up at group, that should be enough." And as they get used to a peer desire group that has some more commitments that we make that really are effective at bringing change, it, it can be an adjustment. So let's start there with why is making phone calls uh, a part of the weekly responsibilities for group members in a peer desire group? Yeah, great question. And we get this question a lot because I've, I've had it frequently where someone will ask, well, I signed up for the peer desire class and I had no idea it was so much work and I didn't know these things. And, and so first of all, it's not a class. It's a group yeah. and it's an, it's an ongoing weekly change process and and one of the most important pieces of change, especially when we're talking about um, struggling with betrayal, addiction, uh, is to break isolation. Because both of those, whether you're in a a group for those who uh, are struggling with someone else who's going through addiction or you yourself are struggling with addiction, isolation is a commonality. And so bottom line, making those calls breaks isolation. Uh, We can feel very connected um, at group with the people around us, especially as we see vulnerability take place. Uh, But what we don't want to do is we don't want to have that be a once a week occurrence where I'm vulnerable on Tuesday when I go to group and the rest of the week, okay, close it up. Let's get back to work. Yeah. And so one of the most fundamental elements of seeing change happen is is to break that isolation to mm. to recognize that i need my group with me all week yeah. i need it's not it's not that they're going to be you know i'm going to be calling them and leaning on them for everything but but i am going to continue this vulnerability of how i live my life how things are hitting my week and and they're affecting me on a weekly basis yeah yeah that's that's really good and it it brings to mind for me that the experience i've had is if I stay in isolation, if I go a week, you know, without talking to anyone until I'm at group, it's so much easier to stay unaware of what's going on in my life. My mm-hmm. self-awareness is very low because when we're in isolation, it's easy to deceive ourselves. And that's yeah. why we've gotten into the problem because in isolation, we've talked ourselves into all kinds of things yeah. that if we called and talked to someone about it, you get we'd the perspective. Yeah, you yeah. see from life from a different angle. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So then let me ask you this. Why is breaking isolation such a big piece to getting healthy and getting free from addiction? 
Great question. Yeah. And, and you know, this is one that uh, we've seen in the research and clinical studies over the last 30 years. This idea has really developed that isolation is is a paramount piece. It's, it's really big. You know, back in the 1960s and 70s, when we were looking at addiction and they're saying, well, people are addicted to heroin and cocaine and how do we get them off it? And sciences, scientists would do studies with uh, lab rats. And it usually went something like get a cage, get a rat, food and water, put it in there you know, unlimited supply of heroin, let's see what happens. Yeah. And we all we all know the story. The rat dies of either overdose or or you know uh, or hunger because it's not eating because it's right. just it's just doing heroin all the time. And so from that we made the assumption that okay, rat plus drugs equals addiction. So drugs are the problem, of course. And and that made sense with the narrative of when you look at someone who's say struggling with heroin addiction. But there was a little problem with that and that is that um, many of these scientists were saying, well, gosh, you know, grandpa just had his hip replaced and he's on diamorphine, which is like a very strong dose of heroin. Yeah. And six months after his recovery and rehabilitation from his surgery, uh, grandpa's not a, not a heroin addict. And so what's the difference? And, mm. and really the difference is that grandpa is using heroin. He doesn't know he's using heroin. He's, we wouldn't tell him. Sorry, that, grandpa. Sorry. But grandpa's using heroin in a controlled method with his physician to rehabilitate and manage pain mm in the process of uh, physical therapy. Um, a heroin addict is using heroin to manage the pain of life. That's a very, very different thing. And so in the late 1970s, uh, there was a study done by Bruce Alexander, who's a Canadian uh, psychologist, and it was called Rat Park. And basically what he said is, you know, what if we changed this experiment up? What if it wasn't a rat in a cage and water and, and food and heroin? What if it was like Rat Disneyland? And he, he basically built it was an enclosure, but it was basically Rat Disneyland. They had balls and toys, and, and the rat wasn't alone. He had all his rat friends with this him, too. It's making you want to go to Disneyland right I, now. Right? <laughs> I know. And he, and he had that treadmill, and, and it was a good time. And, and they had food and water, just like in the original experiment, and an unlimited supply of heroin. Hmm. Yet in this experiment, because the rat was socializing, the rat was playing with toys and, and doing normal rat things, uh, they found that seldom did the rats ever use heroin, and they never used it habitually as an addiction. Huh. And so he made the conclusion, he said, what if drugs are not the source of addiction? What if the cage is the source of addiction? Hmm. Basically meaning that addiction comes from isolation. And we see this in Scripture over and over again. God created you know, man in his own image, male and female. He didn't make Adam say, there you go. He made yeah. Adam and Eve. Yeah. You're going to be in relationship with me. You're going to be in relationship with with Eve. And uh, you see this, uh, Paul writes in Corinthians where he talks about, you know, we are the body of Christ. I mean, I might be a really good hand as a Christian. Yeah. I might be an awesome right. hand, but I'm not getting anywhere yeah. without the foot and the body and, and everything else. And sure. I, I think Proverbs really sums it up best. It says, whoever isolates themselves seeks their own desire and they break out against all sound judgment. I mean, basically... Isolation is so dangerous because I believe it creates addiction and it creates, like you said, Nick, we don't have another perspective. It's, it, it gives us foolish assumptions. Yeah, it goes back to that self-deception that, that in isolation I'm alone and I'll listen to just about any crazy thought that comes in my head without the voice of community and relationship to correct me and, and yeah. create those, those feelings of purpose and meaning and value. And um, yeah, I, I love that connection that that's how God made us. It's good to see that mm -hmm. what we're trying to work on in a peer desire group is not to make someone something they aren't. Like we're going to try to make you talk to people. Yeah, It's really an effort to try to help you be the kind of person God made us all to be, and that's in relationship. 
Well, and isolation is really comfortable though. Like I don't have to address my issues. I don't have to change. I don't have to deal with other people who are sinful like me. (laughs) Isolation is really easy. And so I think that sometimes... control it. Totally. And I think that sometimes we think that solitude equals isolation. Sometimes we kind of go down that trail and end up, you know, somewhere where we didn't want to be. But at the same time, you know, some of us get tired. You know, some of us get tired about like about being around people yep. and what, what you just have to be careful. You have to be careful because isolation can become this like lazy boy chair that you sit in for the right. rest of your life. There, there's a huge difference between meditation, time with the word, time with the Lord, self-care. You know, when I go work out on, on, on the treadmill, I'm by myself yeah. and it's good, you know, because yeah. like we talk to people all day. I just need <laughs> to run for a little bit, folks, you know, yeah. and, and that's fine. But if that's my world, right. If, if, if exercise is my, that can become an addiction too. I, I think a great question to, to think about is in group, don't, don't ask, you know, how little have you sinned this week? Or, or basically what's your sobriety? We should be asking how much have you connected this week? Mm. I think, I think that's a much better question to ask in light of how are you doing on working towards recovery and restoration? Because, yeah. it, and, you know, based on what you're saying, I think that the amount of time that we put into connecting with other people will indicate how we did that week. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Brian, let's uh, address the elephant in the room a little bit. And that's for many listening, they would say, I hate the phone calls. Why do I have to do it? It's a dreaded <laughs> part of the week. Um, or their day. And the fact that we live in a world where texting and online messaging is so prevalent and easy and convenient, I'm, I'm sure for uh, for some, uh, won't name any names, I'm sure for some, it feels like, can't I just send texts? Isn't an email just as good? Um, so is it okay for group members to just text each other or are phone calls really necessary? You've got to do phone calls. I'm sorry. I hate to say, it. <laughs> I would love to text people and just say, "Doing great, yeah. everything's fine." Right. Texting, uh, I think it has its place, but it does not replace phone calls. Texting um, prevents vulnerability mm. uh, because when I am texting, I can choose to respond or not. Um, I really control the conversation. When I get on the phone, I have no idea what my group members are going to ask me. I mean, they, get a- they know me really well. And the more they know me, the more scary questions they might ask me. But really, when I face those questions, that's, that's where change happens. When they say, you know, and it has to be done in, in a very loving and caring way. But I've, I've always found that it is. When a group member says, you know, Brian, I just have this observation, and I, I want to know what you think. And I'm like, dang, okay, that that really messed with my week. I'm going to have to rethink this here because yeah. I thought I was doing great, and here, I, I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm maybe not as good off as I thought I was. When when there's a text message, I can simply say, okay, don't talk about this, don't talk about that. I'm, I'm going to send this because that's what they want to know, or that's what they're going to expect, and I know how to control that conversation. Yeah. And even with their response, I can be very careful about how I respond again. It's so much different to be on a phone with somebody or even meeting face-to-face. I mean, there are plenty of times where people in my group, they're like, you know, can we meet for coffee once a week? I'm like, yeah, that would be really cool. And let's, you know, make, let's do a check-in while we're there too. Mm. Um, And and I I, I really valued those times uh, because even though they're difficult at first and I fear that vulnerability and man, what are they gonna say when I say this and I realize this or what are they gonna ask that I'm not thinking of? Yeah. I always leave feeling so much better than I came. Yeah. I always hang up the phone feeling like, thank God I called. Yeah. yeah, so what I hear you saying is that when we text or message, 
we can still do image management. We can still control the conversation. Yep. Um, and that's dangerous. And I know uh, more and more we see younger generations um, or really any generation in this internet driven age kind of losing some of those social skills. And I know you talk about this in your book, Digital Natives. Maybe speak to that for a little bit. Like why would making your weekly phone calls help you develop your social skills of just making friends, which something honestly a lot of us as guys really struggle with. Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I, I think it's pretty common, especially in the church, you see that uh, uh, guys don't tend to want to get into small groups. And when they do, it's because they're offering a breakfast or a meal or something, you know, and then we eat and we leave. <laughs> bacon. And, yeah, give me some bacon and I'm out of here, you know, I'll listen to the guy talk, but don't, I'm not going to, I'm going to get close to you or, yeah. I, I think that uh, that is a challenge of this generation for sure. And, and like you said, we, we talked about that in, uh, in podcast number nine. And um, really what, what ends up happening is it, it's sort of self-perpetuating. The more that I resist opening up, uh, the, the more I am to continue to resist. And the more that I open up and I feel, okay, somebody gets what I'm saying. I, I, I showed a little bit of who I am, who I really am, and I didn't get shamed for it. And maybe even I felt some empathy, like, wow, man, I've been there, that, that's really rough. The more likely when I'm in a rough spot, I'm going to reach out again. And, and that's really the key, because every one of us is gonna hit crisis at some point yeah. in life. We're all, you know, God loves us enough, that he's not gonna cause crisis, but boy, he's, he sure loves us enough to let it happen. Hmm. And when we hit crisis, you know, the Bible says that we're supposed to, to, to share with each other. We're supposed to reach out to those around us. And so if I have been cultivating this relationship with the guys in my group and people in my church, and I'm honest with them, I'm very likely when things go south to say, okay, I don't think I'm gonna be judged. Maybe I will be, but last time I wasn't. So let me try this. Let me yeah. see what happens. Because mm -hmm. how much better would life be when life was going sideways that we reached out to someone and we just knew because maybe not like we felt it was gonna happen, but because of past experience, it's happened before, that they're gonna understand and they're gonna do whatever they can to help. Boy, how much better would life be? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, when I make my phone calls, I find that I've never regretted a phone call that I made. Right. And it's interesting how the Lord works. And I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't put this in statistics or anything, but just the way that the Lord works usually, if not all the time, when I make a phone call, I realized that I was somewhere I needed somebody. Like maybe I didn't even realize that I needed that conversation, but then I realized, wow, look how far down I was getting down the faster scale. Look how close I was getting to relapse, to wanting to act out or numb out. And then at the same time, most often I would find that that conversation also would be the same thing for the group member that I called. That whether it was me or, or him that I would call and at one point or another, it's like one of us has something going on and we need to have a conversation. So I think that it's, it's important for us to do um, and it's a great practice to have. And I think that God is faithful and uses that every single time uh, to bring about more community and pulling us out of isolation. Uh, so that's just been my experience. I think phone calls are such a huge piece for sure. Okay, Brian. So um, I'm a millennial. So texting, <laughs> texting and emojis and all that is it's in my blood is what it feels right. like at this point. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned just a minute ago that texting is not what we want guys to do in group. We want guys to make phone calls, uh, guys and gals. Sorry. We want them to make phone calls. Um, 
but can texting be a part of accountability? Like is texting of the devil and is it, you know, how to, does texting breed isolation? <laughs> it's or, on the faster scale. Or yeah, again. right, right, right. <laughs> faster with two T's. Yeah. Like can we, is it okay to text? How can, how can texting and messaging be a part of uh, accountability? Sure. Great, great question. Uh, you know, I ran into this in the second group I was a part of and we, uh, we were very adamant in my first group, got to make phone calls, got to make phone calls. And, and it didn't really ever come up. And I think maybe also given that I think it was the youngest guy, so it didn't, it didn't really connect. But in the second group, uh, the seven pillars of the group that I was in, I had a lot of, you know, younger than me, 20 to 25 year olds. And, and so this was, this was a big deal for them. And, and I just, I said, no, can't text, not going to happen. And they, they just kind of went with it. Um, but there have been, there were situations that started to happen. Uh, I remember one um, in one circumstance where we would start talking about um, someone who had relapsed. And, and this is really common. You have to understand too, a lot of guys are gonna come to the group or gals are gonna come to the group and relapse is going to be a challenge because they haven't experienced sobriety yet. And, and this isn't a normal part of, of, their, um, of their recovery yet. And so, you know, they would make a call after they relapsed. And, and so our group would say, well, why not make a call before? Would, you know, I mean, that would be so much more helpful. And and so we we started implementing that idea and and talking about that. And then and then a couple of times it was like I tried to call and nobody was available. Now I, mm. it, what was cool was they started thinking about it, and that usually prevented the relapse. And so we said, hey, what if we had um, we sent a text? If if you can't get a hold of anybody, either text the person you're going to call tonight, or if you don't have anybody on your schedule to call tonight, then do a group check text, you know, do a group text to everybody in the group and say, who can, who can I talk to tonight? I'm struggling and I need to, to tell somebody something. And what that text did is it sort of predetermined that from right now where I'm struggling with temptation to when I'm going to speak to someone tonight, because I know somebody in my group is going to say, yeah, you can call me. Um, I, I'm now accountable. I have to, I have yeah. to deal with this. And yeah. we had another situation too, where there was a a guy in my group who had come to our group because he was struggling with uh, using internet pornography at work and had had some consequences that were, you know, very serious and we're going to have even more consequences if it happened again. And so he said, well, I've got this problem where I also have, we have a policy that we don't make outside phone calls during work hours and I want to be responsible to that. And we said, hey, perfect. If you're struggling, text somebody and say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call you tonight. Is that cool? Yeah. Ask me about this. Um, we came up with two very important rules, and I, I think these are very good rules to have when you're adding um, this sort of um, accountability texting to your group. Number one, texts should enhance and encourage calls. They don't replace calls. They mm. should enhance and encourage That's the calls. Good. And number two, texting does not change the ownership of accountability. In other words, it's my responsibility to make my three calls. I don't say, hey, Joe, I'm going to call you on Thursday. And Thursday rolls by, and then, you know, I come back to group. And I'm like, Joe, why don't you call me? And he'll be like, well, because it was your call. Yeah. <laughs> You're calling me, not the stupid, other way around. Stupid, Joe. Come on, Joe. <laughs> get your head in the game. Uh, and just because I texted someone doesn't mean they're going to call me. And we, we made that really clear in the text. We would say in the language of the text, I'm struggling. Is it okay if I call you tonight? Or when I call you tonight, if this was like yeah. this plan that I was going to call, I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this. Is that cool? So the ownership still lies with me mm-hmm. to be accountable to other people, and that reinforces the value of that text because when I'm doing a text, I'm still thinking, 
I'm responsible for my accountability, yeah. not my group members, it's me. Yeah. And so this text is not gonna replace my phone call, it is going to assure me that I'm gonna call somebody uh, or they're gonna ask about it, come group, yeah. and I already know what I'm gonna talk about. Yeah, I saw the value of a text uh, in my own story several years ago. I needed to buy a gift for my wife and the store that had it was at a shopping mall. And like many guys, shopping malls have a lot of triggers. And I, as I pulled into the parking lot, I could tell there were triggers. It's like, whoa. And so I sent a text to a couple of my group members like, hey, I'm going to buy this for my wife. Ask me when we talk how I did. And as soon as I sent that text, it was like the sense of triggers was gone because I knew anything I did, I was now accountable to because I told guys I was going to tell them. And so I think those kind of things were real quickly, you can say, hey, here's something going on. Pray for me. I'll call you tonight, tell you how it went. Um, where maybe a phone call you're not ready for, it's not practical. That text can, like you said, enhance and encourage uh, your, your pattern of phone calls. So that's it's a good, that's it's really a good cool. dose of reality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In the moment. So as we've talked about, texting or messaging can sometimes uh, get in the way of making phone calls. It can be one of the hurdles that we have yeah. to overcome. But what would you say are some other obstacles or hurdles uh, that guys and gals have to get through in making their weekly phone calls? Yeah. Uh, you know, Trevor, you kind of touched on this one before, but I, I don't know if it's every time, but boy, close to every time I pick up the phone to make my call and I'm like, man, I don't really want to bother this person. Mm -hmm. They're probably busy right now. This is probably going to be a challenge for them, and I'm going to annoy them. Or, or sometimes I'd be like, "Why do I need to call? That my week's going great. I don't, I don't need this. <laughs> yeah. Everything's perfect, you know." Or, or even worse, I've had a terrible week. They're going to ask me questions that I don't want to talk about where I'm yep. at on a faster yep, scale. Been there, yeah. And and but you know, really, the result of that phone call was always the same thing. It was, thank God I called. And sometimes even when I was doing great and, and the other person would, you know, I'd go through my faster scale and I'd answer the, the questions and, and, you know, and talk about my commitment to change. I would find that the other person was so glad I called. Like they're just in trouble. And that frequency of community and, and, and how often we're connecting and like we said, you know, not how much have you messed up, but how much are you connecting? That frequency of connection really encouraged me in my week and encouraged them to know that I cared about them and that I was willing to follow through with what I said I was going to do. So I think that's really the biggest hurdle is we make the assumption that I'm probably going to bother someone hmm. um, or this doesn't really matter or I'm doing great or I'm doing terrible. I don't want to let anybody know. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, is you, you almost have to get to a place of saying, um, like it or not, this call is a really valuable part of my sobriety today. It's a really valuable part of my health. Yeah, I, I've made it a practice in groups to say to guys, when you're going to make a phone call, if it's a good time for you, make the call. And don't th don't worry about the group member because mm -hmm. if, if it's a bad time for them, guess what? They have voicemail. Yeah. If it's a bad time for me, I don't answer. Yeah. But if that guy calls or if I call and I leave a one or two minute voice message checking in, even that, you know, it's better if we can talk in person, but sure, leaving yeah. the voicemail gives me that accountability. I know they're going to hear it. I know I've been honest. So it's a step in the right direction. And I tell guys, if, if you can do that three times a week, you're ahead of the guy that makes no phone calls because he or she sits around going, oh, they're probably busy. They're at work. They're at, there's always a reason not to call yep. someone. Yep. So if it's a good time for you, call them. And yeah. if that means leave a voice message, that's better than nothing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and when you're leaving a voice, a voicemail and you're, 
being honest and you're saying like, look, man, I'm, I'm struggling. Can you call me back? There's something even psychologically as I'm hearing myself say I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm having a difficult time. It's almost I mean, it, for me personally, when I've experienced it, I feel like there's almost like this layer of armor I start to put back on. I'm you're starting to like reality. own. Yeah, I'm starting to <laughs> own it. Reality. And I'm and, and and it is a way of breaking isolation. I mean, don't just call guys when you know they're not going to be available and leave voicemails. <laughs> That's yeah. not what we're looking for. Exactly. But, but it's it is going to still work. Um, I think yeah. in the long run. So, okay, Brian. So let's get really practical here. Sure. When group members call each other each week, they make their phone calls. Um, what should these calls look like? What should guys talk about when they call each other? Yeah, great question. And we cover this um, in both the leader's guide for all of our materials. We also talk about it um, in our journals. Um, If you are in one of our recovery or betrayal groups, get the journal. It will, I mean, it, it just makes this process so much simpler. I don't have to remember who I'm supposed to call. I grab my journal. I have my commitments changed. I've got my faster scale. I've got everything right there. And it's in my backpack. I mean, that's where mine sits. And so I I really eliminate the reasons I won't call somebody having that thing. Mm. Uh, But what we go through, there's there's a a few basic things. We we basically go through our faster scale and we report in our commitment to change. And so uh, the first thing that you need to do when making a call is review your faster scale. So you pull out your faster scale and you're going to look at since the last time I've made a call or since group, where am I at on the faster scale? Uh, work through, you don't have to you know, circle every item, but just start working from the bottom up and say, you know, nope, I'm good there. No, I'm good. There. Oh, looks like I'm forgetting some priorities here. Okay, yep, that, I gotta circle that. And then um, when, I, when I get on the call, um, I'm gonna report in and I'll say, hey, this is Brian. Um, I wanna let you know how my faster scale is going. This, I found out I'm in, you know, in uh, forgetting priorities. And I answer those questions. How does it affect you? How does it affect, or how does it affect me? How does it affect the important people in mm-hmm. my life? Um, what is the benefit? Why do I, why do I do this? And, and then really the important thing is how am I going to step off the faster scale? What do I need to do right now? So practically, what are my plans yeah, to get to my, restoration? What's my plan to get to yeah. restoration, yeah. which is not a once a week occurrence. So right. I think a lot of times people think that, okay, I, I'm, I'm down the faster scale. And then I got back to restoration. That was my week. It's like, no, it's it's like every day I'm on yeah. the faster scale and I'm yeah. getting back to restoration. Right. And so, um, and, and then, and, and I'm going to discuss that with um, my my group member that I'm calling and I'm going to ask for their feedback too. Does, a lot of times we'd ask too in, in how I'm going, you know, how I'm going to get back to restoration. I'd say, does that sound feasible? Does that sound like something that I'm, is that, am I thinking of this right? And yeah. they'd be like, oh, well, if you thought about this, like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. That's, that's a really good And having good that second set of eyes on your action plan is going to be huge. Oh, yeah. So big. Yeah. Well, I, the fact that I'm on the faster scale means I'm probably blind to something in the first place because mm. I got there. You know, I mean, yeah. like, I'm not yeah. forgetting priorities. Yeah. And, and it's not as, as though we are intentionally saying, mm-hmm. I wonder how I can work down the faster scale this week. I, I'm, I'm there and I'm not sure how. And yeah. so I, I make my assessment. But like you said, that second set of eyes is so valuable. Mm. And then, then I'm going to report on my uh, commitment to change uh, this week as I'm progressing forward every week to um, move further and further uh, towards healthier lifestyles. How how am I doing on that? And what, what do I need to do from here until group, mm-hmm. um, from here until tomorrow, that's going to be really making a positive change? Mm. Now, something you just shared, Brian, might have caused a little uh, concern for listeners uh, when you talk about sharing the faster scale, they might think, 
oh man, before I make every phone call, I've got to fill out my faster scale again. So are you talking about sitting down and writing it out? No. Or is this more of a quick assessment of where I'm at? Quick assessment. Yeah. 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 And for me, um, what I would, what I would do, because within our journals, we're supposed to be filling out our faster scale and doing a full evaluation once a week. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when I would circle something, I'd write the date next to it. Like I write Tuesday. Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday. That's good and idea. so then then at the end of my week, and, and I'm not filling out the whole thing. I'm just saying, all right, I'm in black and white thinking right now, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, why, you know, how does it affect me? How does it affect important people in my life? And I go through all of that. And I don't need to write that. I'm just going to tell the person on the other side of the phone, my, my group member, and they're going to, they know me. They're going to know why I'm in black and white thinking because I'm always there for the same reason. Yeah. And, and uh, but at the end of the week, I can see that progression. I can mm. see, oh, yeah. Was you, like, here mapped it out. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, and That's it makes great. that process of completing the entire faster scale much, much simpler. But this process of making a phone call is really like five minutes out of my day. Mm-hmm. It should yeah. not be that much. Yeah, I try to emphasize that for guys that don't think this isn't half an hour, <laughs> this isn't an hour to hash through everything. That, that I might share my portion in two or three minutes. And if they're busy, that's the other thing I try to encourage is that if the person you call, it's the middle of their day and they are busy, they might say, hey, thanks for sharing. I'll talk to you later. That I'm not obligated if you call me to also share my commitment because I might not be ready to do that. And that, I think, helps group members realize, oh, I can. if Brian's calling me and I see it's Brian, I don't have to go, oh, shoot, am I ready to check in? Sure. It's not about me. It's about Brian because Brian's calling. Yeah. So I answer and go, hey, Brian, how's it going? And Brian shares. And then I might say, all right, see you at group. Yeah. And then it's still on me to make my phone call right. to report my change. But sometimes if I'm also ready, I might, after you're done, say, well, thanks for sharing that, Brian. Could I talk about my week? Yeah. And if Brian has time, he says, sure. Because Brian might be need to go too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. so you can have, you know, two for one kind of there that, oh, I got my phone call done and they got theirs done. Exactly. But if, if guys and gals realize five minutes is enough to do your calls uh, or a call, it, that can help say, oh, I've got five minutes. I can do it. Right. I, th- I think there's another piece of that too, and this this comes up frequently um, in groups. I've had group members ask this question: Is it okay to have a limit? Is it okay to say I've got five minutes? We do have those group members who haven't shared life with people much, and leading through the faster scale, they want to tell you about the fishing trip, and they want to tell you about how their, you know, project at home's doing, and and so. Um, you know, we would, in our group, we would joke and we would say, that's an interesting comment or that's an interesting question, but what does that have to do with the faster scale? Yeah. And everybody knew it wasn't, it wasn't a shaming comment, but everybody knew, okay, we're getting a little off track. Uh, let's make sure we stay on track. Now, if you have the time and the interest and this is a good friend, go for it. But yeah. understand you're under no obligation and, and neither is the group member you're talking to, to accommodate um, the normal ongoings of life. This is really about recovery. And yeah. it shouldn't, like you said, five minutes is really enough. Yeah, making it doable and yeah. realistic for everybody's yeah. week. So, Brian, one of the things we get asked about is from people that have maybe been through other recovery experiences. And I think 12 steps is probably the most uh, familiar. Sure. And in a typical 12 step group, uh, you don't call group members, you have a sponsor. And you might call that sponsor every day. So for a, a man or woman, that's that's their background, and they're feeling like, well, well I know my leader, Julie, and I, can I just call her three times a week? <laughs> it's so comfortable. Uh, uh, why? What would you encourage someone, the value of calling multiple people and, uh, you know, over the course of a few weeks, being able to connect with everyone in your group versus just having that one person you call three times a week? Yeah. You really have to think about 
uh, a recovery group, whether it's the Seven Pillars or Betrayal and Beyond or Eight Pillars, um, as um, an ongoing process. So if, and I'll, I'll tell guys that get into my group, I'll say, if you want to see real change, um, you've probably been through the Conquer series, you've probably heard most of what you're going to read about in Seven Pillars um, for the groups I've led. Uh, Conquer series is the information, Seven Pillars is the application. And when I say application, it takes a while to apply multiple coats. Like, so in the first year, we're going to see some very big behavioral changes. We will see uh, group members change how they think and how they act because they're in this community of, of people around them. Um, I tell all of my group members, my hope and my goal for you is in the second year, you're going to lead a group. Because when you lead a group, it is an entirely different experience. Uh, you begin to recognize from a more objective point of view how other people are seeing life because they're just starting and you're a little further down the road, you have sobriety. You begin to see this is not about sexual addiction or whatever struggle I have with the most terrifying thing in my life that's creating addiction. This is an ongoing process that affects how I do life. And so my hope is that you'll be in a group, you'll lead a group, and beyond that, you will always want to be in a community of people who know everything about you and love you all the, all the time, and so in spite of all your stuff. So if we think about that, that means that getting attached to one person mm -hmm. as my sponsor is not a really healthy thing. It can almost be a code. I, I'm not saying it's totally unhealthy, but it can be codependent because now I am relying on that person for my health. Yeah. I would much rather rely on my ability to be vulnerable with new people mm -hmm. as I see them becoming safe in my life. I don't want to be vulnerable with everybody. That might not be healthy, but I want to, as I start to expose some of my weaknesses and I see empathy and I see understanding and love, ah, here's another person I can be vulnerable with. And my goal is that I'm not just vulnerable with the people in my group, but that yeah. extends beyond my group. So this is an ongoing thing that has to happen. Yeah, I think that's really good understanding. That's good, Brian. Well, and, and something that you mentioned earlier with being a part of the body, sometimes if I call one person, like if I'm if I'm a hand in the body of God right. and that person's a hand as well, it's like I'm getting the same perspective from one person. Right. But maybe they're like there's like a there's eyes and there's there's different guys with different giftings, different temperaments, different perspectives, uh, even different convictions maybe, and those people those men and women in group can help us reorient our perspective and give us new, really a new look at maybe where we're mm -hmm. at and the, on the faster scale, where we're at in our commitment to change. And so the variety that's mixed in with that, I think is beneficial for us. Or the other danger, if we're only checking in with one person, is that voice of accusation that can say, well, that's just them. You know, they're just a really <laughs> special like person. <laughs> yeah. But if other people knew, they'd reject. They'd, yeah. and, and so we can actually stay in isolation because we've only created one connection, but we haven't really learned to trust people yeah. and to trust that's our group. weird that you can, even even if you're reaching out to one person, that can still be a form of isolation. Yeah. That's crazy. groups. That's right. <laughs> okay, so um, what are, Brian, some tips to making phone calls? I mean, so instead of maybe making encouragements like we like to end really every episode, what yeah. are just some tips that you would give uh, to making phone calls a priority? Sure. Uh, and a lot of these we've, we've kind of reviewed already, but just to be very, very specific. And these are keys that I tell every guy um, in group, and I would encourage every 
uh, every every person in their group, men and women, encourage the people in your group um, to do these things. Number one, uh, accountability is your responsibility. You've got to own it. Mm-hmm. Um, accountability software works when you own it. It doesn't when you assume that it's somebody else's problem. Um, or if you have no group members, you know, or nobody, nobody you, you can have an accountability software and if you're not reporting anything to anybody, it's pretty useless. Yeah. And so I don't expect my group members to call and say, Brian, I'm checking in. How are you doing? That's that's not my goal. My goal is I need to make it a priority to check in with someone and make sure I'm on the right track, make sure that my perspective is clear, make sure that I am staying focused and present in what I've set out to do this week in group. Um, also, you've got to plan ahead. Every time we have group and we do our commitment to change, I don't care how tight we are on time, I tell my guys, listen, okay, you might not be done with your commitment to change. No, we ran a little long this week. The homework is a little full. Let's figure out who we're going to call. Let's do that. And then if, if we don't have time to finish our commitment to change, make your first call communicating, this is my commitment to change this mm-hmm. week, and let's do it today or tomorrow, one mm-hmm. of the two. So have that plan. And, and that's where the journal for all of our groups is so valuable because it's right there. You just, okay, I'm going to call you, Joe. Okay, Trevor, I'm going to call you. Yeah. you know? um, and f- a lot of times we have people that um, are, struggle with that. It's like, I just can't get in the rhythm or I forget. Or I, and, and so one of the encouragements, something else I would encourage to do is um, three is the minimum. If you need to, I've had guys that this is the trick for them. Like I try calling and I forget or I just get busy. Like, mm-hmm. well, call every day. Just call every day. Set an alarm on your phone. Say, yeah. I've got to call. And and nobody in groups, gonna, there's, there's hopefully, you know, at least four or five, six of us in here. Nobody's going to get annoyed with two calls from mm-hmm. you. I think it's going to be okay. Um, and in some of the some of the groups I've been in more recently, we just decided, look, we're just going to call some everybody a day. It's just it's a little easier that way. Yeah. I don't have to think about it. Same time every day, I just... You know, six yeah. o'clock, I'm going to make my call. No big deal. Um, be vulnerable. That's another big thing. Expect mm. to just be open, to be honest. Expect that you're not going to be judged, that this person is here to help you. They are there to and, – and if you're on the other side of the call, please don't judge. Yeah. You know, don't, don't yeah. say, well, you know what you ought to do. <laughs> yeah, don't fix each other. Don't fix each other. Follow, follow the group guidelines and, and listen. And, uh, and, you know, and, and maybe that's all you need to do. Maybe all you need to do is listen. Hmm. If you feel like there's something you need to point out, just say, can I give you feedback or are you interested? And if yeah. they're not, say, that's cool. I I'm really appreciate you calling me. Thanks for, thanks for checking in. Hmm. Um, and then my, my biggest don't is um, calling three people the same day, especially the day before group, does not count. So <laughs> it's kind of like doing your homework in the parking lot, you know. Sure. Yeah. It's better than nothing. <laughs> it is better than nothing. I told guys that, hey, it's better than nothing, but that should not be your plan. Yeah, <laughs> we get in this pattern, like my groups are usually on Tuesday, and we get in this pattern of like, you know, Tuesday I'm doing great, Wednesday's pretty good, Thursday I forgot I'm in a seven pillars group. Yep. And then comes Sunday, like, oh my gosh, I gotta get my homework <laughs> done and make some calls. It's yeah. Monday morning uh, and yeah. Stay we're in the routine. scrambling to get out. And yeah. I think it's less, um, there have been some weeks that have just been really tough to carve out time for me. Um, and I know my other group members would say the same, but it's more about, I think, the frequency mm-hmm. than the intensity or um, the duration of time. I, I Even if I have 20 minutes a day to do something related to my recovery, whether it's you know doing a little bit of homework, maybe I'll get all of it done, or yeah. maybe I can just read and not get to the homework, but I, I got that in today. Right. It brings my presence and awareness back to, oh yeah, I'm working on restoration. Yeah. I'm working on 
trusting God and not trusting myself in the moment. And having that daily as opposed to a ton of it two days of the week yeah. makes a world of difference. Let me let me add something because this has been something recently in my life that I've, I've realized is a pattern. Um, and it was something that when I first got into groups, I realized that I ended up taking advantage of the time that I had available. So when I was on my way home from the church, and I still do it now, I have a 30-minute drive home, I take advantage of the time that's already in my day that's open for those. So don't try to wake up at 6.30 or 5.30 and call somebody like, you know, we had Robert Vandermeer on here, a, you know, a few episodes ago, and he, he talks about like the lazy man's thing. It's like, find a time that you already have that space and use that space. Don't yeah. try to recreate this like special moment in your day. And so for me, that's been really, really fruitful and beneficial yeah. is because I already have that built into my day and I can just take advantage of that time. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, and that speaks to the awareness. I think opportunities are always there. It's whether we are going to recognize them or not. And and honestly, you know, making a plan that's like, I, I remember listening to that episode with Bob. It was great. Making a plan that's realistic. Um, you don't have to say, oh, I'm going to get up at six o'clock and get on. Because you know what? Nobody <laughs> yeah. else in your group's up at six. So don't Who bother wants that. to make a phone call at six? <laughs> when it's, Who wants to answer a phone call at six? <laughs> it is amazing when you make that part of your week, that connection with guys just checking in. It, it becomes something you look forward to and want to do because it creates connection. It creates confidence. And it gives you that feeling of, I'm being accountable. I'm doing the right thing because yeah. we own it. And yeah. so I just encourage listeners, if you're not in the pattern, at first, it might be a discipline, but disciplines, when done well over time, become habits. Yeah. And that's what we hope will happen. Yeah. That's a great place to end. Thanks, Brian, for being here and talking to us about phone calls. And we really appreciate you taking time out to hang out with us. My pleasure. Awesome. And thank you for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe and check out our website, puredesire.org. Also, you can follow us on social media at Pure Desire PDMI. Once again, that is at Pure Desire PDMI. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. For more information, check out our website, www.puredesire.org. Check in each week for new content on the podcast, and we pray that it will help you find hope and freedom on your journey to purity.